Blog Talk Radio. All power to oppressed people, African power to an African people, and black power with your brother Yang and Kuma coming to you today on a Monday. I'm off, I'm off kilter. For those people used to listening to me on Sundays, yes, I'm hitting you with the Monday today. Sunday we had technical difficulties. Today is just slightly different. If you've noticed uh, how I started out today, I didn't start out with my usual beat, my little music going. So uh, it's just a tad bit different. But rock with us. We're going to try to rock this thing through. We're dedicated to providing the information man, that prayerfully inspires our people to participate in their own liberation struggle to get off their booty, you know, to get off that butt and get out here and really be involved in your own self-determination and uh, participating in the ability to practice self-sustaining lifestyle. Today's topic, denizen or citizen? Denizen or citizen? Hmm. And like I always do, I like to um, throw out there, you know, what started the what started the whole uh, conversation piece, you know. Um, and one of the things that started this conversation piece was in our orientation class, man. Uh, we had an orientee that was very observant, and one of the assignments I had given out was just a little something. Uh, to look up the definition of denizen and citizen. And for you, uh, those brothers and sisters out there listening in the shout of my voice, you know, do that for yourself. Look up. Though we're going to talk about it still, take the time to look that up and ponder on that and see how that hits you, how that affects you. And I'd love to know. Listen, I'm not operating my own keyboards and so I have someone prayerfully, I believe, that should be operating the keys. I'm not certain. I'll be operating the boards. I'm not certain. Uh, but if they are, press one. I told them to open up your mics, and you just have to ride out with me. We'll let our mics look in. I'm looking for our orientee, actually, to come in um, and, and, and share the whole what was in her mind when she shared the post and began to get that whole topic going, get that ball rolling, challenging people in her network and her circle to think about the whole denizen citizen thing. But why is this important? Why is this important to know? Because a lot of times we're in the struggle, we really don't know what the struggle is about. We're in it to just really satisfy this thing, this nagging feeling that is deep down in us that lets us know that we should be doing something to help the living conditions, to help better the living conditions that we find ourselves. Uh, Okay. Thank you. So we, you know, so it's just, we find that just innately in us. It's like, you know, something's not right. We got to change this. So we start to, participate in these groups that we feel like will lead to some type of, that will lead to, uh, that, uh, hold on, I'm sorry, like I said, the technical, technical difficulties, that will lead to, that will lead to some type of, you know, 
that will lead to some type of change. We we jump at these groups. I'm sorry, I lost my thought for a moment. Getting some things together. We uh, jump at these groups that, you know, prayerfully we hope that will satisfy this nagging, this longing in us to um, appease me being a faith-based revolutionary, me being a spiritual person. I say the answer. I said my Google. But to, you know, just to appease that, like I said before, that nagging. And what we find is we end up being like hamsters on the wheel. Let me see. Sister, you on? Isa. Okay. We find it being like hamsters on the wheel. And, Sister, you on? Yes, I am here. Okay, excellent, excellent. Listen, and I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you can make it. It is wonderful that you can make it because what stirred the whole topic of, and I'll go back a little bit. Uh, for the first, this is our dear sister Aza, and I am pronouncing the name right. I always have the bad habit of calling you Aziza, but Aza, am I pronouncing correctly? Aza. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. The dear sister that was on that that put the post up that I thought was fascinating and the buzz that it had received was even more fascinating. And the um, whole thing was the denizen citizen piece, you know, and I feel, and like I was sharing with the people that I think it's a high opener for a lot of us, not just because we never, if even if we've never really heard that, because we still don't know that something like that does exist today in, in, in this modern time. But tell me, you tell me when, you know, when, when, when the whole thing came to you, what went through your mind and, you know, the feelings you had and, and, and some of the actions you think that you should begin to bring people's awareness to it and either change the status. Well, first, um, you know, we always had this mind to where we knew that it's parts of us that didn't matter. I mean, it's parts of us that didn't matter to the the quote-unquote dominant culture. We knew this. We could see with, you know, the action towards us, the injustices were on every level possible. But to have a physical term and to have, like, it's like a loophole. It's like mm-hmm. we realize after looking at Denison as citizen, I'm like, okay, well, now I see that they have created legal loopholes. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. it's legal, but slavery was legal. You know what I'm saying? That We have right. legal loopholes, and, and so it, it gets to the point to where I felt more – devastated than I thought I would because I I felt like you're basically telling me that I don't matter. So it doesn't matter about the the degrees I have and the experiences I have. You're still telling me I don't matter. And that right mm-hmm. there is like a slap in the face. I knew and I, I understood things that happened prior to me. But just being able to mm-hmm. look this term up and then look at the definition and the responses that I got, basically 
certain people were like, yo, so I'm really not a citizen. I'm not mm-hmm. a citizen. Like, that hits differently. Like, they force us to learn these these uh, traditions that are not ours and such and such. It's literally like you're, we're forced to hide behind who we truly are, and you're taking power from who we truly are on, when it comes to constitutional rights and things and treatments and stuff like that. So that really rubbed me the wrong way. And and I felt like I had to talk to people about it and, and, and put the post on Facebook and my Instagram because it's always somebody who say, well, black lives matter. Well, our lives matter. Sometimes it's our people. So mm-hmm. when you hit that, well, are you a citizen or a citizen? It hits differently. It hits, well, mm, I mean, I'm a citizen because of da-da-da. Well, if we are really citizens, why do they have to keep making amendments to the Bill of Rights or amendments to laws mm-hmm. to, inc- inc- you know, incorporate our culture? I should need a law to wear my locks. I shouldn't need a law to do this and that. So I'm confused. So I'm like, well, mm-hmm. you're basically telling me that still look at me the same way you still looked at my ancestors and before them. You looking at me as half a human. What is it, three-fifths? So it's just like, mm-hmm. hmm. So when you go back yep. and, and look from now, from then to now, it's like, well, you're, you're pretty much saying that nothing was done. It just looked better. So it, it, it's like putting crap on the table and then put flowers around the crap and spray around the room versus just removing the crap from the table. It's still crap. Mm-hmm. It just looks mm-hmm. decent. It's on the plate mm-hmm. now. It, it, it's dressed. But it's still crap, and it still stinks. It doesn't matter how much spray you use and incense you use, it still stinks. Mm-hmm. So it's getting me to mm-hmm. a point where, okay, so what now? What am I to do? First, as far as awareness is concerned, I felt like just bringing awareness to that court because with certain people, it will cause cognitive dissonance. And that's okay because we were led to believe one thing, and then you realize it's another it hits differently, and people get triggered. So when I brought the post up, it was to inform people, and some people did get triggered. I got inboxes, you know, hey, you know, I don't really, I see what you're doing, but it seems like it's causing division. Is it really causing division, or is it bringing awareness to something that we've been sweeping under the rug? We have that hush-hush method that we use and we adapt to, but it's not healthy. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I, you know, I want to I want to touch on a couple things you you said there. One, okay. when we talk about the whole denizen citizen thing, I I you know back when we look at segregation, we knew exactly what we were. They made no bones about it. Back in segregated South, you white folk only, black folk over there, they made no bones that you were a denizen. End up mm-hmm. happening. We had the likes, you know, like I believe that. Conditions raise revolutionary. Like it or not, mm-hmm. people are not going to like what I'm about to say, but the civil rights movement, in a degree, at its time, it being the first, it uh, you know of of anything of black people coming together and demanding any type of right or any type of actions was revolutionary at that time. We're not talking mm-hmm. about when you know we're comparing it to Malcolm. Anything. We're talking about when it hit the scene. 
So Malcolm was very revolutionary. Mm-hmm. So I did, I did, and I, I mean, uh, brother, uh, Dr. King, you know, Dr. Martin Luther King uh, was very revolutionary at his time. Dr. King, mm-hmm. in my opinion, after studying Dr. King's message was this. His message was basically no taxation without representation. You're not going to get my money and force me to take a lesser position. You're not going to get my mm-hmm. money and make me go through the back door. You're not going to get my money and make me take. I am a man. I want human rights. I demand to be treated equal. I'm taxed the same. Things cost the same for me. I'm not going to suffer inferior conditions. Um, what happened mm-hmm. through the time when we did the bus boycott, they realized that black dollars was was power, that we may discriminate against these people, but their pennies add up. They don't get a lot of them, but they don't produce for themselves, so they will spend with us exuberantly. And if we give them a little better treatment, not only will they spend with us a lot more freely, putting the small black businesses we had out, you know, putting them out mm-hmm. of businesses, but they will bite into the illusion of freedom. We have traded mm-hmm. freedom for material possessions. We think because we can walk in somewhere and buy the flat screen that's on sale, because we can do all of these things that we really have freedom and that we are citizens. And like you said, we snooze on, we become politically apathetic. We don't get involved in politics, so we snooze on amendments and laws being passed uh, and some laws specifically geared towards us, criminalizing us. One of the ways that they take away our brothers' and sisters' rights is through the, uh, like I said, the criminalization process, through incarceration, parole, or probation. And when Mm -hmm. the brothers or sisters get off of these things, they're not fully integrated back into society with their rights as citizens given them. They're denied the right to vote. They're denied the right to uh, bear arms. And their felony or that record, enables them from mm-hmm. certain positions and jobs. So mm-hmm. they're relegated to cheap labor. They went from free labor from penitentiary to cheap labor back in the workforce. And when you're grown and you're forced to work these menial 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 jobs, excuse me, for menial mm-hmm. minimum wage, you're not putting those jobs down, just being real. And you have, you know, and a lot of our brothers and sisters have more than one child in more than one home. And they need to take care and support these homes. So the uh, lure of criminality is even stronger than it was before when you was just doing it for kicks. Now you're doing it or think about it or contemplating it for survival, therefore putting you at risk there again to be free labor. And the cycle mm-hmm. having a, a a chance of doing all over again with your children. So this is the importance to know why, what we're looked at and how we're perceived in this society and how society runs, mm-hmm. you know, that they need denizens. We know. It flows up you know, if you want to say anything. The more you learn about these things, it's like you have to unlearn. And I think that's one of the issues with our people. Mm-hmm. Unlearning mm-hmm. or relearning. Because some of us, we don't understand that the more you elevate, the more you have to go through the things that you've learned yes. and realize, okay, well, this is deception. Or, And a, a lot of these, to me, in my opinion, 
you know, a lot of things when you when you speak on like the civil rights movement and, and and things, a lot of powerhouses and a lot of historical things have happened during those times. That was also the time of Pisces. And when I, I research mm-hmm. stuff like that, you know, they say, well, that's the age of deception. And I'm like, okay. Well, when they say this is the age of Aquarius, it's the age of knowledge, new beginnings. I'm starting to see that we were deceived in so many ways. Like when you bring up segregation, you know, we fought so hard to be equal to where we forgot our own worth. Now, I'm not taking away from Mm. it because, you know, uh, the society was different back then than it is now. It was harsher back then, you know, just by looking Mm -hmm. at the things that I've read and, 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 the videos, documentaries and stuff, they they had it hard. Like my parents had it tough and my grandparents had it tough, you know? So I'm not downplaying what they did, but now it's like, now it's a war for your mind. Back then it was a war for your pockets and mind. And it still is a war on our pockets and mind, but I think it's more mental than anything because we're at the point where we're handling their business on our own because we're conditioned to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. it's kind Absolutely. of like, oh, man, it's tough, man. Absolutely. It's, you know, it's tough to, like you said, it's tough to it. unlearn what you've learned. It's tough to do that, mm-hmm. especially when one of your learned behaviors is to be dependent on the state. Mm-hmm. You know, it's when mm-hmm. you start thinking about independence, when we start thinking about self-sufficiency and doing for ourselves, it can be frightening because of the reality, how huge it is, and the accountability and responsibility that comes with it. You know, but what I tell my people is that it's not foreign. We see people do it all the time. I, you know, um, coming from major cities, I see the major cities with the Chinatowns and the little Italys and the German towns. Um, Just when you go in the South, People don't think nationalism is strong. Their nationalism is so natural in the South because it is a matter of survival. Just the kindred spirit, the knowing the areas that's not safe to go into, the knowing the words that's not safe to say around certain people, if, even if those people are black folk. You know what I'm saying? The ability mm-hmm. to sniff out an Uncle Tom and things like that that you find uh, from my brothers and sisters in the South because it is so tied to their um survival you know mm-hmm. it's just when we start to politicize it, and what we mean by politicizing it is start to turn it where it becomes collective where it becomes a power where it becomes a social cultural power where it becomes a uh economic power you know one of the things that down in which you i did sister sister makita had was a, a family fun day you know that was sponsored put on by and held for the black community in the surrounding area and and white mm-hmm. people showed up and i didn't have a problem with that i thought it was a prime opportunity a great opportunity to still be yourself and if people are bold mm-hmm. enough to walk into and see what you're about then here's an opportunity to educate people that you're not a hate monger you're not one of these people that just hate you because you are what you are. You're a devil. <laughs> it is what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't hate you no more than I hate a snake for being a snake, you know. Um, but I said all that to say this, that when it's trans, when it's politicized, and we understand, okay, as individuals, we're not citizens. 
we're we're not going to have those citizens' rights, or we're not going to have the power of that your white individual citizens would have because this is a white dominated society. So how do we have to roll? Mm-hmm. We roll like those other foreigners roll. When they come in, they have institutions that acclimate them to American society. They have institutions that get them ready for American life. These institutions point out the programs that they have that will make their life better. And all the while, they have this sense of, you know, collectivity and community that they know they have to extend. As they get on their feet, they have to extend their hand and reach back and help the next one trying to get on their feet fresh from China, fresh from wherever they came from, fresh off somebody's boat, you know. Mm -hmm. And along with showing these people the programs that they have available for them to help them, they also politically educate them as to what candidate, who they should vote for, how they should go. So they roll collectively. Our problem is, mm-hmm. like, like like we're talking about, we've been into the, the whole being a citizen thing that we won't even unite our vote. We give our vote blindly to a Democratic Party because we don't politically educate ourselves. And when we're told to vote, we say, well, if you don't know who to vote for, go vote for anybody that says Democrat. That's our party. So we just blindly give away votes, you know. So there's just so much we do is unaccounted for that if we roll collectively, even those who are denied their rights, which is their rights, which is is criminal in itself, who are denied their rights would have to be recognized because we would roll as a collective. It's like, yo, you don't recognize them, you don't recognize us. But as is, the people who have enjoyed certain so-called rights really, or just amendments, these certain so-called amendments uh, that they have as black people, if you don't, if it's not all-inclusive of your people, it's nothing. I'm I'm going to open the floor to you with this, but I wanted to say this. There's a revolutionary point my mother used to say to me. Uh, She used to say, you know, I would add, we'd be talking about something, and I'd say, well, why should we help all of these people or why? And my mother used to say, um, I wish I remember who she said said this point, but she used to say, when they came for the farmer, I did nothing. When they came for the baker, I did nothing. When they came for the teacher, I did nothing. And when they came for me, there was nobody left to help. So, mm. you know, our thing is, if it affects one of us, it affects all of us. Mm-hmm dealing with and, and now that you say it like that you know I'm thinking about all our wrong, uh, wrongfully convicted brothers and sisters that's in the system you know we, we, we missing out and I didn't think at the time being young and stuff like that um, my father was killed and um, I used to always say like you know well don't do it in jail, it don't matter, da da da. But I'm thinking about a lot of people who were low vibrational or who were at the wrong place, wrong time, who looked uh as a threat to the dominant society, you know, a lot of people they are in situations to where they're stuck in the system. And I began having compassion, especially dealing with, you know, being in orientation. 
it, it put another perspective in my head because, you know, it's some things that others have dealt with that I didn't deal with. And a lot of people who educate our people or who strive to, they seem to throw away our people who are in prison. And Mm -hmm. the fact that I'm even started to have compassion is is raising my vibration because as a person, I know that one of my responsibilities will be to educate, and that's okay, and I'm willing to do that. But I also have to keep in mind that it will be some people that come towards me to say, well, you know, if you do the grime, you do the time. Yeah, but, you know, the nature versus nurture thing happens, and I'm not giving excuses, Mm -hmm. but these are really true facts to why our people are incarcerated. And when they come out, it's like a new world. They don't have much, you know, support. And those, they matter. They matter too. Like, like you said, if, if, it, if they're not benefiting, we're not benefiting. And especially absolutely. our black kings. It's, you know, it's a war on our black it's, kings, especially. So it's like, you know, and whoa. And, you know, sister, I would tell people it's not a matter of, you know, that would be a whole nother issue of uh, political prisoners and why brothers and sisters get incarcerated, especially black males. But my thing would be when you talk about denizen or citizen is the double jeopardy that takes place, the double mm-hmm. uh, penalization. When you have someone that has so-called served their debt to society by by their own words, they say if this person goes to uh, jail or prison and does the time and comes home and satisfies the conditions of so-called parole or probation, that person should be once having satisfied all those conditions, has paid their debt to society and should be released back into society with all their rights. We can, I can understand if you do the crime, you do the time. Okay, exactly. Once they do the time, why is that individual still being penalized? Why is mm-hmm. it that that individual has something on his record that won't allow him mm-hmm. to get certain jobs, city jobs, certain places he can't work in because of something uh, they've done that alleged that you said they've, they've paid their debt to? I think that that's one question. And then the second, the biggest question that is asked to the state is how do you have a denizen? How do you have someone who you're forcing? to pay taxes, someone who you're forcing to abide by the laws, or either you'll put them back in jail, and yet mm-hmm. they don't have any representation in the government because they don't have any rights. They don't have their Second Amendment rights, their First Amendment rights. They've never been given back their rights. You actually have a place where you have people, you're forcing people to occupy space that has no representation, no rights, no anything. They just exist to fuel your machine. That is wrong. It's like a wolf in sheep clothing. It's a wolf in sheep clothing. Like that concept is big with this topic because we don't, we say one thing and we do another. And to me, that's equivalent to false prophets, you know, false, false anything. Like I don't deal, I don't work well with that. And some and some of those concepts are so embedded into our minds to where we fight within ourselves when someone tells us the truth because we don't yep. want to believe it. 
So Absolutely. I, I'm with you now. Yeah, it forces us to get off. You know what it does, sister? It forces us to get off our behinds. It forces, mm-hmm. it forces us to be accountable to not just our immediate surroundings and the issues that we face right now, but it forces us to be accountable to our future, to the children, and to be accountable to our gungu, to our ancestors, you know, mm-hmm. who were who were forced into a denizen position, first enslavement, mm-hmm. first captured, you know, and then enslaved, forcibly brought across the transatlantic. You know, some many of us didn't make it. Some jumped overboard. They say that the sharks used to follow the ships, knowing that a meal was to be had, and brought mm. to distant land over here. Now, here's an amazing, funny thing. I caught some of that Farrakhan um, speech, and he said something that I thought was remarkable. He talked about when they begin to document slavery, and I forget the exact dates. Oh, oh, oh it fails me. But, and he talks about when slavery actually began, and he said there was a 60-year gap that they're not documenting. And he said, what do you think happened in these 60 years? This was the breaking of the African. This was the break. This was the making of the slave. They brought, this was when they came and they forced, you know, forced made it the Africans with different clans that would take the babies, you know, and, and 60 mm-hmm. years and were taking the babies and doing away with those Africans and raising these babies and forcing them to make for 60 years. So they had 60 years of, of black people in America, 60 years breaking stomping out who they were, where they came from, their language, their culture, their their gods and goddesses, all of that. So we're we're talking about our ancestors that came from there. And then after allegedly freeing us, and brothers and sisters, listen carefully, you weren't freed. Freedom is this. When you're so-called free from slavery, you're given three options. If we were really free, they would have given us three options. They came to us and said, listen, Mr. Black Man, you are now free. You have three options. You can go back to Africa. You can go off and start your own destiny off somewhere, start your own thing, go get some land, find some land somewhere, do your own thing, or you can join the society that we're building. We were so-called free and immediately placed under their laws. It's not freedom as a, as an ex slave of this country. You think if you'd ask me, do I want to be? Uh, you're free. You want to stay with us, man? Hell no. What, what's the fastest thing you got away from you guys, man? I'd have made a turtle turned into a racehorse. I'd have got on a turtle and made it run so fast. <laughs> There's no way you could tell me that some of our ancestors would have taken the option of staying with them and having to go through another 125, 30 years of sharecropping, Ku Klux Klan, segregation, Jim Crow. There's no way we, we, we willingly did for that. You know, and then so now with all of that being said, we fast forward in the 21st century, and the trick of the day is materialism and greed. This is why mm-hmm. some of us, us faith faith-based revolutionaries understand that the battle is not just a political, social, cultural, economic battle. It's a moral and ethic battle. It's about Mm -hmm. your greeds, your desires. The devil 
has come and promised you and given you every desire, and you give up your right to freedom. You give up your right to being a citizen of any kind of nation. You'll be an occupant of a place. You'll be a denizen. Why? Because the devil feeds your desires. He feeds your sexual appetite. Mm-hmm. You got every spot you want to go to. You can get on the the uh, internets and get all kind of fetishes and freakishes to come through. You got every fast. I mean, every food thing. We don't even eat to live anymore. You know, used to be a time we would say, "I'm hungry." Now we say, "I got a taste." What you got a taste for, baby? I got a taste. Mm-hmm. Everybody got a taste. It's not eat to live. The Honorable Elijah Muhammad taught us. He said, you eat to live. You don't live to eat. Now everybody's living to eat. I got a taste. Appetite. You know, this insatiable desire, this insatiable need for everything, to have everything. And this, you know, I call it the microwave age. Everything has to be immediate, three minutes or less, has allowed us to give up our freedoms because we no longer desire freedom. We just desire material possessions to consume. Mm-hmm. When you lose the desire for freedom, you can t- people can take your freedom because you you don't know it. You you're you're in the illusion that you have freedom. Man, this is what do you mean? I'm not free. Got this big inch, and I got PlayStation. You know, I got everything I want. What do you mean I'm not free? So, and you know, at the is, beginning, is, once we start, mm-hmm. once we start moving towards revolution, and uh, this 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 yes. energy that needs to be there, once we start moving towards it as a people, we're gonna realize that the revolution is uncomfortable because we became so dependent on what they say we should have. So you're absolutely, absolutely. correct. This is the this is the microwave generation, and we moved away from the oven because, you know. A while you have to you have mm-hmm. to build. You just can't throw things in the oven and expect it to come out. Versus the microwave, it's already prepared. You just warm it up. But the oven, you have mm-hmm. to cook. You have to prepare. You have to plan. You have to have the right ingredients. This matters. Yep. And we are so comfortable to where we don't want to do the extra because we felt that well, we're already comfortable. What's the problem? What's the point? Mhm. Right. That's right. Mhm. And 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 knowing that and the thing about the microwave is knowing that we don't know how to repair the microwave. You know, see when the microwave breaks down, that's it. That's the dependency. We want everything instantaneously or instantaneous, but we don't produce. So we we we're sitting there like just waiting for the dinner bell to ring, the Pavlov effect. Mm-hmm. That's another assignment out there for you, brothers and sisters, the Pavlov effect. You know, look up the, the test study with Pavlov the dog, what they did to him and when they rung the bell and how he would come expecting a treat. Look at this whole – and that's mm-hmm. what we have. You know, um, Carter G. Woodson in the Miseducation of the Negro, he said that if you train a black man to go through the back door, and you put him in a house where there is no back door, he'll make one. <laughs> he won't. He mm-hmm. still won't go through the front door. He'll make a. He'll make a back door. So, you know, when you think about this discomfort, when you think about how dependent we become on the state and the, uh, when people think about the dis-ease, they really will sell their freedom and sell their brothers and sisters. 
we will no longer, we will turn a blind eye to our brothers and sisters, and we will get like the colonizer to appease, to quiet, like I said earlier in the show, to quiet that uh, nagging feeling that we have, that feeling of connectedness to one another. Mm. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll go to Uncle Jose, Jose Williams, feed the, feed the homeless on Thanksgiving or something. We'll go to church on Christmas. You know, for those of us that are spiritualists, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, might change the water on our altar or something like that. You know, we'll do little things to kind of get that, that, you know, that little monkey off our back. That little, you know, really, I call it the ancestors, but that little thing in your ear saying you better do something. And this is what the European does. He has his Red Cross. He has his Salvation Army. They have these things to appease the uh, just that very devilish nature, they have to have something to assuage that, something to hold them, if not try to remind them that they should be at least pretending to be human. If they did have some humanity, at least they have to have something that makes them hold to that little bit of humanity. And we're getting just like that, where it should mm-hmm. be we should have sleepless and restless nights if we don't know if our neighbor is eating or not. There's no way we should have elderly people, especially, first of all, let me say any human being, if you're right and exact, if you're righteous, any human being. This is a revolutionary way. You can't watch any human being suffer and say that you're a revolutionary. That is, that's impossible. But particularly being a black nationalist revolutionary, my first interest is people of my race. So if you have elderly people, not even elderly, someone beside you and you don't know their condition, if you're looking and the condition doesn't look that well and you haven't at least extended yourself in some kind of way to at least make it appear that you're open to aid and assist, to offer a prayer, if they know you're spiritual, no more than walking out the porch and you see them sitting on the porch, I'm going to pray for you, baby. I got you. Keep your head up. It's going to be good. You're black. It's okay ancestors got you if nothing but an inspiring word we have to get away from individualism and we wonder how they get away with creating denizens because we don't care about one another we don't why do we care if the state does deny someone their rights when we're next to people who don't have the basic essentials to the rights of life food clothing shelter and we turn a blind eye to that. You think we care if the state is denying them their rights, if the state is suppressing them when they're right next to us and we're ignoring them? Mm-hmm. In need. Our mm-hmm. brothers and sisters in need and we're not helping? It's ridiculous. You know, it, it, me, it reminds me there again, I've been on a roll with the Honorable Elijah Muhammad, so let's keep the quotes coming. Elijah Muhammad taught us, he said, how can you love your God whom you've never seen yet despise your brother who you see every day? It's impossible. Mm. How are you loving these mm. deities and these beings that you've never seen? Only in effigy, only in form and symbolism. And we have the man, I, there's people who feed their deities better than they feed the human being next to them struggling. There's people who offer mm. more to their deities. And human beings mm-hmm. struggling. If your deity isn't found in that human being, then your deity, you might want to question the deity if that deity doesn't value the sanctity of human life. 
And once we value mm-hmm. the sanctity, the bare essential of basic human life, we start to look at the state and say, hey, wait a minute. This is a human being. How do you have this human being paying taxes and trying to scratch and scrounge and living out and be law-abiding and you deny them their right to existence? Mm-hmm. Then we have to question, you know, how can I enjoy my right to exist? Knowing that my brother, I truly am, my brother's keeper. Speak on it, sister. You got me, you got me speaking. <laughs> Go ahead. And it's an open you forum. Know, I'm not working the boards, but I'm, I'm told the boards are working. Press one if you want to get in here. Press one, and we'll open your mic and you, you know, join the discussion. You know, to to me, it's just like when when we say, well, you know, if you don't, when we address white people and say, hey, well, your silence meaning means that, you know, you're okay with the stuff. Well, what's the difference? If we don't speak, you know, if we don't speak, it's the same as white silence. If we don't do it, it's the same yeah. as white silence because we have the information and we're not sharing it, or we have the, the, the resources and we're not helping each other. Black silence is the same as white silence. Now, in that aspect, Absolutely. not the whole thing, but in that aspect, because we're not helping our brothers. We're not speaking out against the injustices. We're just worried about our own, our own selves, and that's selfish. So I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. And I heard somebody come in, so I'm on. All right, your mic's open. Welcome to the show. Did someone come in? Uh, I, I thought I heard someone. Okay, maybe not. Maybe not. But you're, again, you have press one, we'll open your mic, and you're always welcome. You're right. Black silence is just as uh, condemning, you know, as, as, as white silence. We have to speak out against it. As well as speaking out against it, I'm advising those brothers and sisters who still have afforded their amendments that still participate to a degree in the system. You know, um, I and, and and those brothers and sisters that have the training to begin to get with us or get with any progressive group. I, you know, us People's Black Panther Party for Self Determination or any progressive Black nationalist group, and get out and start pushing self determination. One of the things is mm-hmm. I think that when our people get past survival mode, when we begin to get past the uh, bare bare basics. You know, when we go into some of these areas, these more impoverished areas, that, you know, we're living just barely above animal. We're just living barely above animal. You should see the conditions. And once we get past this and the people begin to, we start learning nutrients. We start, you know, mm-hmm. when they're not worried about their baby being sick. You talking about go down here and they tell me, baby, you talking about go vote, baby. You talking about add a dot a dot I got holes in the window coming through the floor. The baby ain't eating right. You know, you're looking at the baby got jondrous and the skin is yellow and this is going on. Basic essentials. Getting in and addressing mm-hmm. these issues. Then we can, once these people know to at least a bare minimum, some of these things are addressed, we can begin to go in and say, hey, you know what? You're not solely to blame for all this. You have someone that should represent you and should make sure money's coming in here. What? What do you mean? Because for these areas, there's money allocated. But these, you got in the, in, when I was a five percenters, we called them ten percenters. Those are the ones that are in the know. They're the blood suckers of the poor. 
you know, they're the leeches of the poor, they're misery pimps. You have black people who go out and say they represent these impoverished areas and get this money, and this money never sees these areas. Or they sell mm-hmm. out these areas to corporate interests for kickbacks and other little things for season tickets. They allow uh, a, a business to build a big dump right there in the center mm-hmm. of the hood or in the center where we are because nobody's representing these people and a lot of these people are felons and things of that nature so they can't vote. So next thing you know, it goes from that to generally go from being a dump to all of a sudden this high-value high land and then gentrification comes in and then these people are migrated out or displaced. The driftwood mm-hmm. effect, they go with the flow. Yet they're forced to comply with every law of the land and what meager earnings they do make. They're forced to pay taxes on it. When they go to that jail, FICA gets them too. They don't get to vote, but FICA mm-hmm. takes some out of that te- check. So there's no representation for that taxation. And last, like I said before, they little history books. Last time I checked in their little history books, they fought a whole revolutionary war behind that. No taxation without representation. So we have to ask ourselves, how foolish are we being to allow ourselves to walk around in this zombie state, to live in a land that doesn't give us any rights, that doesn't recognize us as its citizenry, that just milks us because we're cattle, we're money cattle. We have no destination, no goals as a collective. Put the newest thing in front of them. Dangle the materialism. You can get the money out of them. Give them that they'll do the cheapest labor. Or even if they're professional now. This is how, you know, they laugh at us. They say, look, this is how they measure their their, their success through materialism. Let's just keep it pumping. Give them the good job. We'll get the money back. Give them the Fortune mm-hmm. 500 job. Give them the $200,000 year job. We'll get the money back, Bob. You don't see this European, this successful European, this billionaire, millionaire, Ted Turner, could be walking through the street and you think he was the average white man. He walks with some doctors and and a button-down shirt, nice watch, his wedding band. You you wouldn't be able to tell, you couldn't measure his success, his net worth, by his attire. Maybe his material possession because of his home or his plane or something like that, but not from trinkets and trivial things. I even mm-hmm. mind that. I tell the brothers, if you measure this, it says buy land, buy a home, buy something you can pass down future generations. If you're going to fight for a true citizenry, if my brothers and sisters decide that's the revolution to be had. They want to be included in this system. Lord would know why. Mm-hmm. Then know that the only way that you're even going to see any part of that remotely working for you in your favor is to do it collectively. They don't recognize your individual black self. Your individual black self are nothing. At best, you're a token. At best, mm-hmm. you're the preventive measure from a law, discrimination lawsuit. You're that one Negro. And my dear black women, not to hurt your feelings, if you're a black woman, you're definitely that because you fit the bill twice. You're a black female. We have ethnicity Mm -hmm. and we have gender. So we have to understand that if we're not coming in these places to kick in doors and not kick in doors to be 
just complacent, but to kick indoors to ask questions and to raise challenges. My congressmen and my mm-hmm. senators, why is it that 65, 70% of black males, it's a lot, are on some type of parole or probation or have been, excluding them from full participation in American politics and American life? Why should they still hold out to the American dream? And if revolution isn't offered as a solution and an alternative, then the only alternative to a better life for them they're looking at is criminality, some form of criminal uh, behavior to bring in what they deem to be successful. Revolution is the option for them because it's saying that we understand that this system is biased. We understand that there is no justice found for the black man and the black woman in this system and that we must create a system that not only addresses our specific issues and our needs, allows solutions and allows us the freedom to be able to evolve enough to um, come up with the instruments to enact the solutions we have with our problems. Right now, we have people giving us problems and stopping us from growing into the beings that could answer and address these problems. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? You got you got crack cocaine in the black community, hitting us with 150 years and all this time for crack cocaine. But like my man Nino Brown said, we don't own one plane. We don't own one poppy field. We don't own one boat to get it over here. You found Saddam Hussein in a, in a rat hole. You mean to tell me you can't stop tons of cocaine from coming over here and flooding the black community? When you bust like I did, brother, <laughs> El-Hajj Malik Shabazz, or Ahimahulat Ayla, may Allah be pleased with him, said, when you bust that alcohol, that's a government seal. Yet you find us doing the most time based on alcohol-related crimes. Why well, I'm saying mm-hmm. that not only... Should you, I, I, I say, I hold the government responsible. They tell me if I drive someone to a murder and he gets out and kills someone and jump back in the car with me, then that's an accomplice. Well, I tell you if the individual is drunk driving and he kills someone, then we should hold the United States government as an accomplice for selling the alcohol. Any alcohol-related mm-hmm. crime, hold the United States government accountable as an accomplice for aiding and abetting an individual in a criminal act, but they have slammed the book on us. We're saying this and we're saying it now to all people listening, that the People's Black Panther Party for self-determination is just about that. We understand that there is no refuge, no solace, no peace in the current system, and that we must invent and create our own system, and we're not so foolish as to think that's an overnight process, but that we will commit ourselves to the act of self-determination, that are act of informing our people and aiding our people to be self-sufficient and self-reliant, only relying on one another, that we will commit ourselves to this task and that we understand that this is not just a social, cultural, moral, uh, I mean social, cultural, economic, but that it is moral and ethic, that we must become complete new beings in our quest for a new world in the transforming and transformation of a new world, we understand that we must transform and begin the transformation process of being new beings. 
And that's my take on that. What do you think, sister? You know, I definitely agree. And something that came in my mind while you were speaking was it shouldn't have to be, we shouldn't have to get to this point when murders are happening and it's being broadcast. You know, the first time I witnessed a shift, you know, I'm, I'm, um, I'm 32 years old. The first time I noticed a big shift as an adult was around Mike Brown and then around mm. Trayvon Martin. And the awareness piece began to kick in a little bit with me. Um, I know that's when Black Lives Matter became an organization and known or whatnot. Um, but it shouldn't have to take senseless killings and murders for us to acknowledge things. It should it should be embedded in our system, in our brains, in our spirits, because all the government will do is, well, we can't do this, but we'll give you this, we'll give you this. And even mm. now we're starting to see a lot of the energy being shifted back to regular things, especially with timelines on social media and stuff like that. You know, we're, we're mm-hmm. seeing less and less of the issues again because things are dying down, quote unquote, or, you know, it, it hasn't been anything else to really trigger us. But considering the living conditions and the situation, that should be a trigger by itself. That should be something that we would mm-hmm. want to address anyway. We shouldn't have to wait until a senseless murder and the next hashtag and all it is. No, we should be on it because our kids deserve better. We deserve better. Our parents deserve better. Our ancestors deserve better. So, you know, that's a part of generational curses, if you ask me, because the system, most of us, you know, both most of us here I don't know, well, I can't say most, but a lot of us have not experienced full-on face-to-face racism. We might deal with it in hidden, uh, in chameleon style, you know, but I even said I haven't experienced getting pulled over and uh, getting a ticket because I'm black and I'm riding a charger. You know, I got a ticket because I was speeding. You know what I'm saying? So (laughs) I have Right. I'm being honest. I'm just being honest. So right. it's like right. when somebody tells me, well, you know, I was profiled as such and such and such, I can uh, I can hurt for them and I can feel for them, but I, I can't say I experienced what they experienced. So mm-hmm. the compassion part kicks in with this revolutionary movement because it's, it's an age gap, age differences, of course, experiences are different, but we fail to respect other people's experience and we kick it as well. We didn't go through it or we didn't experience it. So I don't see why it should be a problem. That goes back to being selfish. We have to stop that as a people because now as a 32 year old, I'm looking at students that I teach. Those are the next, that's the next generation, you know, planting the seeds and nurturing the seeds. That's important. And we have to get yeah. out of that, well, I didn't do it, or I didn't go through that, so it shouldn't be a problem. But then when it happens to you, you want everybody to raise hell and have signs and protests and all of this stuff. But I'm like, we we need to be consistent with this movement because it's not temporary. Mm. This is not a fad. 
This is dealing with a lifestyle. This is dealing with our lives, our livelihoods. This is not a fad. And I think a lot of us are jumping on shit because we think it's a fad, but it's not. It's not. And 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 all it's gonna do is is society evolves, the racism will evolve too. <laughs> it's not That's just right. gonna stay there. The energy is gonna change and it's gonna evolve too. So we have to be mindful mm-hmm. on the things that we output into the universe when it comes to our people because we need to understand that the things will affect us and our children whether or not we are pulled over, whether or not, you know, we do experience racism with job interviews and all of this stuff like that. We have to be mindful and show compassion with each other, and we have to understand that it's not just about an individual. And once we get past that point, I think that we'll be fine, but it's it's the, the small battles that we have to fight within our communities before we get to this big issue, which is addressing the oppressor. And yeah. some of us, we we hide behind coonism. I can't, I'm sorry to say it like that, but we're okay with being it's cool real. because it's we real. are accepted <laughs> with the dominant culture. Like, I'm not okay with that. I'm not just nah, going to hush because you want me to. Uh, so it's it, not it's real, it, you it, know. It's here, it's Nobody, dumb. you know. You know, Sister Isa, nobody wants to be the nigger. Nobody wants to be the Negro. You know, and, and what I call that uh, disassociation disorder. You psychiatrists out there, counselors out there, y'all call in later next show because we're running down and tell me how I'm making up these words. But, yo, that's that should be, if it's not in the books, it should be in the books, you know. Disassociation disorder. And black people will go through every measure to disassociate themselves with being black African here in America. We'll be Moors, we'll be Muslim, we'll take on every other culture in the world, we'll be Jamaican, we'll be Nigeria. We will be anything other than black African here in America. So even to a degree where we will disassociate ourselves from certain racial traumas, you know, and mm-hmm. I'm like you, certain racial things personally I haven't been through. But when black people begin to reconnect, we do like the Japanese, you know, the Japanese going in, knowledge their ancestors like the when we begin and I'm not saying we have that's jokey joke. Um, you know, I'm not saying we have to go to those extremes, but at least acknowledging your ancestry. When we begin to do that, even though I feel like even though we personally haven't went through maybe a racial um, issue, we will be so connected to it because we'll be connected to our ancestors. We would feel that. When we turn on the television and see a racial injustice taking place, some type of brutality happening to an individual, uh, and especially because they're black and for no other reason than them being black, it will begin to shake us to our core. I think what we saw with George Floyd, because we've seen murders before, but I think just how it happened, the way the officer did it, you know, with, I think it just not just erupted in this world, but in the spiritual world. I just think the ancestors could have just had enough of that. It was so blatant and gross and just sick, you know. And, and, and so when we get back into that, um, 
I, I think we'll begin to enact. I don't think we'll be able to sit still. I think just the electricity in the air, like I said, our ancestry, our Google is just going to shake us to begin to do something. And it's and that's what we saw with George Floyd. Now the question comes in, in our closing, and I'm going to give you a couple minutes just to say something, is how can we take that energy and do something that is constructive, directed, and goal-oriented? And that's it. I'm going to give you a few minutes uh, before we close out. I'll give you a few minutes to have a closing statement. Okay. Um, oh, you want me to do it now? Okay. So basically yep. I want to say that healing is a process, kings and queens. It we It's a process. It's equivalent to peeling back an onion. Every layer will cause tears, cause some kind of, uh, uncomfortability But once we get to the core Our goal is to get to the core And Understanding that healing is ugly But it's so beautiful at the end We deserve this So we need to move into The energy of We deserve this My children deserve this We should break generational mm. curses It's not just with individual families It's as a people this is generational curses that we are dealing with, traumas, anxieties. We deserve to heal from these things. We don't have to trauma live. We can we, we, we don't have to just survive. We can live. We deserve right to on. live. Mm-hmm. So remember these things when, when topics come up and you feel uncomfortable, it's our right to feel uncomfortable because that uncomfortability may be your spirit saying, hey, this is true, and I know you don't want to accept it, but this is just what it is. So mm-hmm. you deserve to heal. We deserve to heal, so let's heal as a people. Right on. I love it. I couldn't say any better words. We're going to close on, let's heal as a people, as a people. Be the healers and the ones that's offering assistance to heal, uh, to, to you know heal other people. Let's do that. So I'm gonna leave you as I greeted you, and that's and and I want to thank Sister Isa for coming on, taking the time out on a Monday for joining me. I appreciate that, rocking out with me. That's what's up. You're welcome. Um, so definitely, I want to tell everyone, thank you for letting me rock your eardrums on a Monday instead of Sunday. Sunday coming up, I believe, is Chief War. I think it's some like the extinction of the Negro. Because I'm I'm sure it's gonna be a great show. You can check me out tomorrow at eight o'clock. I'm doing Let's Talk with my guy Shaka, and we be you know we be rapping and chopping it up. Um, also, check out the, the Facebook page, People's Black Panther Party for self determination. Check us out, you know, hit us up. As War would always say, listen, we love to have you check us out as a, as your organization, as someone you like to move forward and to bring about some changes in the black community. If we're not the fit for you which may be the case, if we're not the fit for you, then please find an organization, find a progressive black organization and participate in your own liberation struggle. With that, I leave you as I greet you. That's all powers to oppress people, African power to an African people, and black power. Black power.